Scale and Shadow, still over, but Austin and David's conversation about different things we learned and advice for other GMs or even players out there. Well, that's concluding now, so I guess it'll be over soon too. But we still have about an hour left. Why don't you listen up? Just might learn something. Oh, you thought remember, we were going to be thin. I know. I was, just, I was just about to say, like, remember when I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, Way too much. I got a lot to say. <laughs> so, speaking of that, did you have any uh, critiques about this that you can uh, remember? Sure. So, all right. You said be brutal. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to just be as mean-spirited as possible and really attack you personally. Thank God. Um, especially about your physical appearance and personal history. But no, one thing that I we ran into every now and again, and it happened more in the beginning of the game, there's a move in Dungeon World, which is, there's two moves. There's the Discern Realities and there's Spout Lore moves, which are used to figure out what the fuck's going on. So Discern Realities to be like, okay, based on my investigating my surroundings, be like either by CSIing the situation or really looking closely instead, whatever it might be, um, you can get this information to answer these certain questions. Spout lore is about like, okay, based on what's going on, what do I know about this from outside of this? Um, do I know, for instance, that trolls uh, are weak to fire and the su- and sunlight? Or do I know that um, Shorebox <laughs> are weak to copper tone batteries? to Dura to Duracells um, like yeah what do I know so there can be a problem in relying on that too heavily and I think in the beginning of this game when we were fighting that ogre whose name I don't remember it was like Kronkathor or something like that L- Lubosh maybe Lubosh and yeah it was Possibly. like yeah it was Lubosh was one of them yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah I think you were sitting on this fence of how much information do I give them or push them to use these moves? Mm -hmm. And the problem was there were certain bits of information that I think you need to understand that like, okay, just based on what I'm seeing, what do I see? I'm not inspecting carefully, but I'm facing a man that's nine feet tall that's different from just saying a tall man. And like, you know what I mean? Like if I say you encounter a tall man in the woods, you would probably not expect that that man is nine feet tall. You would Mm -hmm. probably think that he's maybe a little taller than I am, like that kind of a thing. Um, And so like, I think there were some times that you wanted us to use those moves to maybe push us to use those moves, didn't give us some of that information. And so what it meant was we were very confused about what was going on and like in this boat of, okay. And then especially if we fail those roles to figure stuff out, we're like, there's this tall man, but he's doing these things with this club. Like, I think that you need to kind of say, all right, you walk into the room. Here is just what you see. You're not inspecting anything. You don't need to have any background information. You see 
uh, these large feline looking creatures with these tentacles that are coming off of their backs. They're kind of moving towards you menacingly, holding a chain with them, which doesn't make sense for the creatures I'm describing, but <laughs> holding the chain um, is, uh, is uh, a green skinned humanoid woman with tusks wearing leather armor and holding in the other hand an axe. And like, okay, mm -hmm. well, you might think, oh, well, this is a orc woman with an axe with these displacer beasts. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, maybe we don't know that, but at least we know we're not dealing with a human because humans aren't green and they don't have tusks. We know that she's threatening in some way because these animals are coming towards us threateningly and she's holding a weapon. And these aren't just cats or dogs. They're these large feline creatures that have these tentacles that are coming towards us. And like, we've got that already. Now from there, we can figure out and then get like more detailed from there. So I think if you're relying on those moves too often, I'm sorry that there's a dog in the background <laughs> yelping like a maniac. <laughs> if it helps, he looks adorable. He's just super annoying. Um, <laughs> I think there are times where you need to make sure that you give everybody the baseline of what they have, because when they don't have that baseline, if you're then relying on them to make a role to find that information, what if they don't make that role? And because of how Dungeon World works, we're often failing a role triggers negatives Brandon just said the quiet part out loud at some point, which was, I don't know if I want to make these roles to discern realities or spout lore, because if I fail the role, something worse is going to go on. Like he just at some point flat out said that. And it's like, I would still make the role as a player. I think usually Brandon still did. But if it was just to figure out like, oh, this is an ogre is it just because he's a large big man like that kind of a thing like the the base stuff make sure that you give people that i remember in that first combat we were very confused about what was going on and um i think that you were relying on us to make those roles and we we didn't succeed <laughs> so there's there's one six there's one kind of easy uh, critique of how we could change some of that stuff up. Uh, if you're using a map, and there were some times occasionally where we were kind of using a map, make sure that folks understand kind of the physics of what they're dealing with. We're like, oh, this is, um, this works this particular way. Maybe this is the equivalent of difficult terrain. We didn't really run into that. Uh, but there were some times where like a map was definitely what we were. It didn't turn into a miniatures game, but having miniatures would have maybe helped a little bit at times here and there. And if you don't have that, just be sure to be clear about what's going on. And like that description to make sure that everybody's everybody's got a similar picture in their heads. Even though you'll never have the same one, make sure that you've got like something where at least we both know that the train is going in this. We all know that the train is going in the same direction. We know who's on top of the train and we know what's coming down the track directly towards us and what that means. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, there weren't enough trains in this. Yeah, come on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to kind of maybe give, give some advice to uh, especially Dungeon World people 
I think if, like you had said, just try to describe everything that the players would see or, you know, experience through their, through their senses first and try and get that basis as soon as you can. I think my advice is like to kind of hint that there might be more, I guess the moves as I understand them and, and you can help me out here, Austin, like discern realities is kind of, all right, well, I'm studying this situation to find out like more to get a better sense of what I should do next. Yeah. And I think it's st- like when you carefully observe your surroundings or something like right. that, uh, where it's, it's not just like, Oh, I look out the window. It's like, I'm real. I'm staring out the window. I break out yeah. the binoculars kind of a thing. Like you're really mm-hmm. looking for information, not just a casual glance. Yeah. And then spout lore is kind of more of like, uh, Oh, well I know the hidden weakness of this displacer beast. And that's sort of what that one's used for. But... Displacer beast enthusiast. Yeah. My favorite magazine, mm-hmm. but yeah, spout lore is, is a tricky one. I, I feel Thankfully, we didn't use it too much in this campaign, but the seven and nine move is one of one of the worst ones, I think, of the basic moves. Like there, seven and nine is always tricky, but this one I think is, uh, yeah, um, the GM will tell you something interesting, and it's up to you to make it useful. So it's just like here's here's a fun fact about it. Essentially, it's like, uh, hmm, and something I always fall into the trap of. Well, here's something that is very obvious that you would know just by looking at it. It's hard to uh, come up with interesting but not useful facts. Yeah, see, my suggestion with that is if you're working with something like that's very D&D canon, like old hat, like, like, oh, right, you're fighting, you're fighting a beholder. Like, that's where you throw out those additional things to say, like, oh, yeah, you've read that beholders. And like, here's some additional information about them that like. Maybe the person can use it. The idea is it's that it's not something that you know is directly useful right now. So maybe you give them the information of like, oh, if you're uh, if you're encountering kobolds, uh, you've always heard that kobolds worship dragons. Okay, well, if we haven't encountered a dragon, that's maybe not useful. And if the story doesn't revolve around a dragon, that's really not useful necessarily, but if down the road somebody can be like, like, hey, I got this from a dragon, maybe they could use that in a way that could be useful, but it takes a couple of extra steps to get there. It allows you to build out the world without, hey, this is basically the background story <laughs> for the NPCs. Yeah, and I've also heard the the advice or the tip that... um the 79s on spout lore, sometimes it's good to do a very specific detail about this very specific thing, you know, like uh, this beholder has uh, spaghetti stains on his chin. It's like, what? Okay, what? I guess that's interesting, but how do you make that useful? You'd be like, well, I just happen to have the spell conjure spaghetti, so I can tempt him with this. Maybe get around him or something. But something just very specific to that specific, like actual monster or situation it's a, a good tip, I guess, for that seven to nine. Yeah. This beholder is named Craig, but everyone in the dungeon has been calling him Greg. And he felt weird about it and he never said anything. But but yeah, um, it's th- the stuff that's just obvious. That should be just obvious. So with the example, again, of you're looking out the window, you know, you heard something from outside the window and you stare out the window 
looking closely might be I break out binoculars, I shine a flashlight outside or something like that. Um, but if you're like, oh yeah, you're looking out the window and you don't, you don't know, you're just looking out there. You don't see anything. I don't see anything. And then like later on, it's like, well, you didn't know it was nighttime. Like that's like, uh, I should have been able to tell it was nighttime when I looked out the window and it wasn't light outside. Or if it's like, well, the house across the street's on fire. I shouldn't have to make a roll for that. It should be obvious unless it's like, well, the fire is actually in the basement and it's slowly working its way up. Like it needs to be the obvious needs to be there so we can build from there. Like um, a lot of games benefit from structure and a lot of things benefit from structure. And so like knowing the parameters of what we're doing before we try to improv these things, because really this ends up becoming kind of this weird improv deal of like, well, based on my character, I'm going to improv this and say, I'm doing this thing. Like, okay, if I know the structure of I'm in the house, the house is on fire. There's a window, but it's a on the third story, like that kind of stuff of like, I push him out the window. Oh, you kick him right out the window but you're only on the first floor. He jumps back in I'm like, okay, this is boring to fight a ninja and have, have anyone be kicked out a window on the first story. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Those 16 different conflicting and not at all meshing <laughs> together analogies definitely make sense. <laughs> no, I think I, I got them. You want any other sense. ones? Cowboys, dinosaurs, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Also talking about um, the seven to nine um, results. Also, the uh, Defy Danger is one of the, the most uh, infamous ones with that, too. I feel those are always the uh, the trickiest part. One of the trickiest parts, for sure, running uh, Dungeon World games and just Power by the Apocalypse ones in general. Like the Defy Danger equivalents um, to, in these other uh, games, rather, I should say. And I feel like, to critique, to critique myself, I feel like I... Uh, if you listen back on the recordings, you'll be able to hear some some of the times I feel like I definitely failed on making good uh, seven to nine results for the players. Um, but I did want to bring up um, another game, Quest, Quest the RPG, um, which has sort of a similar um, system, but it's based on a D twenty. But they have a defy their Defy Danger equivalent is just the movie used for everything. And their suggestion is don't worry about what are the defy danger things. It's like a hard bargain, an ugly choice, or a, a third thing. <laughs> I forget. Um, but they say always just do a hard choice. Just give them two bad things, and they have to pick one one of the two bad things. And try and make them as equal as possible so it's an interesting choice. Can I, can, then, I, can I amend what you just said? Because I think you left something out. Please. So if they're if they're getting that kind of partial success, still give them the success. Mm, yeah, good point. But then say, here's two bad things that could come about. Which do you prefer to be the one that comes about? You'll succeed. You still do the blah, blah, blah. But. So it's a yes, but. Yeah. Which I, I think uh, is frees up a lot of, you know, headspace for the, the GM as you're coming up with these things. But also the uh, the worst outcome that maybe that's the one I was uh, forgetting. The worst outcome I feel is uh, I feel too often gives like bad taste in in my mouth. Even just running it, and probably the players too, where it's like, oh wait, I succeeded, but then something bad happens. Like even though I succeeded, like it's not always great. But when you kind of give the player the choice of 
all right, well, something bad's going to happen, but I get some sort of leeway into steering how that's going to work. I feel makes it feel a little bit better if, if you uh, give them a little bit more control over that. What do you think about that, Austin? It does. I think whenever the person chooses something, I mean, they could still feel like, oh, you gave me these two choices, both of which suck. Um, so maybe oftentimes it might be a good idea to say like, okay, think about those. We'll come back to you. We're going to go to somebody else. And then, all right, we're back to you. What happened? Um, there will be some people who no matter what, because it's a negative, they won't be able to choose. Um, and then pulling the table maybe isn't a bad idea in that situation. Uh, there's some people just because of like the, their particular personalities, like making a choice when they have to make a choice that they know will result in something bad, something bad's going to happen. They will, they don't want to do that. And so it's like, maybe just let the table kind of take the heat of that of like, well, that's just what happened. Sorry, dude. But I think that that could, that could work out pretty well. Those are always really tough. We played dungeon world years ago, the second time I had ever played it. Uh, with a late buddy of ours and he I think it was the first time he had ever run it I'm not positive of that but every time he got a there was a seven to nine his result his answer was always like do a certain amount of damage and honestly that just gets kind of boring pretty quickly you want it to instead really give you the GM the opportunity to then do something else crazier slash put them in a situation where they're like, well, now I got to do something crazy too. We're like, Oh crap. Uh, now I'm stuck down here with all these, uh, wolves. Well, now I got to do something crazy to get out of this thing, uh, that out of this situation. Yeah. I feel often the option of just doing damage is the most boring. I try to avoid that whenever I can, but, uh, it, it is always there but I, I definitely wouldn't use that as the default. Yeah. Um, I think I heard a suggestion that was like, if you're doing a thing that would hurt them, make the thing more interesting and either don't do damage. Or if like you think you need to do like minimal damage, if that makes sense, like, like do something that's interesting or if you were thinking like, hey, um, you're fighting this orc. This orc is going to cleave you in twain. This is how much damage they would do if, if they like cut you with this axe. Well, maybe they do something, they hurt you in some way. Actually, this got to something in our, in our uh, Dungeon World Blackburn game that you did not like, David. But like maybe give them some kind of almost condition that's a narrative condition. So maybe it doesn't affect them mechanically in regard to, oh, you have a minus one. But this person just did something where you're now slow and you're not going to be able to run very quickly. And so now if it's all of a sudden like, well, the roof's collapsing, well, now another player is going to have to help you and maybe make a role, maybe probably a defy danger role or something like that to help you out. But when you're just fighting and doing stuff on a regular basis, it doesn't have much of an effect. But literally your ability to sprint down the hallway to get out of the way of this, that has changed. Like you can add those things in and have these effects, even if they're not necessarily mechanical, they can sometimes be narrative. Yeah, for sure. And kind of the, the marriage of that is are those debilities that they have. 
which I use quite a lot in this one. They're pretty fun. Like I forget them offhand, but each one ties to a one of the the six abilities, and you just get minus one until you. I think it's until you take a rest or take a potion or something. And th- I feel those are more interesting than hit points to me. But hit points also, they have their place for sure. But yeah, I really like the uh, the narrative ones that you suggested too that don't necessarily have to be tied to mechanical stuff. Oh, one thing I want to bring up. This is a problem that happened at the time, and I think I, I've solved it way after the fact. But so Explicica Defilus, the, the, the end boss, I think it's a spirit naga is what creature she was who they have the power to kind of mind control people. And I wanted to put that into a, a custom move. I forget if I made this up myself. I'm pretty sure I did, but maybe I'm sure I have was inspired by something else. Oh, f- for sure the gauntlet kind of had something similar to this. I bet that's who I stole this from. But there was a move. It was uh, essentially if you if you do one of the options, she kind of gets in your in your head and I'll get a certain amount of hold over you. And I can spend that hold to compel you to your character to do something or else or something else. And if you do that, then you'll get an experience point. And if not, you'll get a minus one to your next thing. And pretty cool. I'm still pretty happy with how that was. But the bad point was it was the, the final game that we we're playing. So XP, not very valuable. And I think the big reason for that is that Dungeon World, in, if you're playing it rules as written, you have to take a rest and make camp before you can level up and use your experience points. And in hindsight, I realize I think they definitely are doing that to kind of evoke the uh, the old school, like original D&D modules or the rules that kind of do that. You can't level up without training in some cases or, you know, making camp or anything like that. But most, I think maybe all of the other Power Blade Apocalypse games that I'm familiar with, at least, you can take your advancements on the spot. Like as soon as you have experience points, you can either save them for a dramatic time or just get your new move right away. And I think in this case, this is an example of why that's maybe better because I, that was, that was my, that's my easy fix to that issue is honestly just have the experience points happen very quickly because what that also means is that for one shots, you're basically only going to be able to level up. Even if you have like a four hour one shot, probably once, cause you're only going to take a rest the one time. And so then you'll have maybe one character, maybe two who are able to level up. And then other characters who are like, well, I went through that whole game. I'm level one. That's not as fun. There were other cool things that I wanted to do. And that's goofy. But if you're also tying narrative things to that, it's 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 better to push push through. So that's one solution. Yeah. And, and I see why making camp is good to encourage because that's when you get these campfire scenes that we we're talking about before that's how a wizard can get their spells back i guess and such that they've they've given up but i'm not sure if it should be as important as you can only level up when you're doing this so this might be the uh the house rule next time i run dungeon world that i do away with and i i wonder if most people just play it as every other powered by the populace game already and i'm the last holdout for this but especially in this situation it would have been better for the players if they could have just leveled up whenever they wanted to. I mean, I've run a lot more dungeon world since we ran this 
And the way that I've done it is when you get the appropriate amount of XP, you just level up. And I often will, because I want the games to move faster and have the characters develop faster, um, say like, all right, at the end of each session, you just get an additional level. Mm -hmm. So like, oh, I was second level. I only am halfway there to get into third. Well, okay, it's the end of the session. You're going to get to third level, but you'll keep that experience to push you to fourth level later, which you can maybe level up in the middle of the next session. I think that gives people, like, they see growth, and I think most people enjoy that. There's also a lot of stuff that you might want to do for your character and have ideas for your character of, like, oh, like, Caster, until Caster has that ability to talk to Father Terjan, he's not the same character. Once he has that ability, we see a lot more of who he is. And so when Caster's level one, we literally don't see as much of who he is as a character because he doesn't have the ability to do this thing in the same way that you're, I think with Rangers, one of the things is like, Oh, I can talk to animals. If that's mm -hmm. kind of your whole deal is like, I go out into the woods and I'm, I'm friend to all creatures, but you can't talk to the animals. That really diminishes your friend to all creatures element to yourself. Like we're all buds and we just kind of like, snow white sing at each other like what are we doing or i just i just pet them and they go they they squeak at me and then they go off on their own so i think that when you have those advancements it does help plus people just people like it people enjoy it yeah i know one one of the the common tips is to especially if you're doing a one shot of dungeon world many other powered by the black lip stuff is to just give them a free level or advancement like when you take a break like in the around the midpoint of the uh, thing, the uh, the one shot, I should say, which I I totally stand by that. I don't know if I'd go as far as as you do, Austin, about at the end of every session giving them an advancement. I mean, I definitely didn't mind it as a player, but I feel it, especially with Dungeon World or one games that have the uh, the questions at the end that you get experience from. It, I feel it it makes those less important to me. So I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, your mileage may vary, listener. So I've also only run Dungeon World as a short game. Now, the Blackburn game was basically a long game, <laughs> um, but uh, I've only run it as a short game. So wanting to have the characters be able to do more shit in three sessions, I think, is a little bit different from we're going to be doing this for 10. That That, I think, is a different thing. I will also say that I think it might be a good idea at times to be like, okay, you're now second level. If you want to adjust your stats, your abilities, that's cool. Oh, now you have plus two strength rather than plus one. No problem. You're going to get your ability. If you don't know what it is right now, don't worry about it, but maybe save using that ability till after the break. If we're doing like a, so that way I can think about how that affects the game. Unless the person's like, I want it to be merciless. I just do plus four additional damage. <laughs> okay, you just do more damage. You're a fighter. You're already kicking the shit out of everything. That's fine. <laughs> or I gain uh, plus one armor. Like, that's that's fine. Not a big deal. But if it's things where all of a sudden, like, like one of the druid things is, like, you can just talk to rocks. Like, oh, I can talk to the earth. Like, okay, well, uh, shit. Now I got to think about how these 
puzzles and other things might mean anything going forward. So when you can just be like, hey, wall, what's the deal with this? And the wall's like, well, you see, long ago, a guy built me. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially with those weird ones. Like the uh, the heirloom move, too, from the fighters is kind of weird, too, but. Oh, it's very weird, and I yeah. I loved it and wanted to use. I tried to use it constantly. Oh, I, I I loved it. If I, my suggestion is, if you're playing a fighter, that's the that's the first fucking move you take. <laughs> don't don't do the other things. I know it's tempting to be like, ah, oh, plus four damage. I'm gonna kick the shit out of everything. It's like you already do that, dude. Just pick a thing where all of a sudden you're like, hold on, my ancestors in this axe tell me something. Or make it crazier. Make it be someone else's ancestors. <laughs> that would be way better. How'd you get this axe? I stole it. These people in this axe do not like me. That's, that's pretty good. There's, that's a great, character. there's a great background. <laughs> Keeping on XP for a minute, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, uh, whereas I don't do the leveling every session, I do try to be very uh, generous with uh, XP, like flags will get you more XP. That's something to consider too, if you're adding flags, but also the end of session moves are great. I love, this is one of my favorite mechanics of this game um, because they, they all kind of steer you toward like the tone of the, um, you know, the game that you're trying to get to like the dungeon world or the Dungeons and dragons kind of uh, theming going on here. And each of the alignment questions are just as good generally. But yeah, just to read them real quick, I just brought them up. It's, do we learn something new and important about the world? If if everyone agrees that that's the case, then you get an experience point. Do we overcome a notable monster enemy? Same thing. If, you, if everyone's yes, then you get one. And do we loot a memorable treasure? Also great. But the thing that they don't tell you, perhaps, is that you can change these. Like, I, I think I replaced, did we loot a memorable treasure? Because that wasn't exactly the type of game I was going for, since I knew there was just going to be one and maybe two dungeons. I went with, uh, I think, something along the lines of, did we make effort to uncovering the mystery of the city or the the town of Orlane or something like that? So you can... Did we help the town of Orlane? How did we help yeah. the town of Orlane? Yeah, exactly. So you definitely um, try to change these questions up to kind of reflect either the uh, the story you're you're telling or just like the tone you're going for is I think really helpful. I think masks does this too, don't they? They have like the end of session moves. I want to say, I think that's where I started doing that. And ever since I've been changing those from there, you don't have to keep it to just three too, as I was starting to say, like that's another way you can um, give everyone kind of an extra possible experience point at the end of every session as well. Have anything else to say on XP in general? Uh, no, I don't think so. I have another thing about, um, debilities. Sure. That's a different, that's a different topic. Now go for it. Okay. So in dungeon world, sometimes you'll get a debility, which means something happens to you where you are. It's like, it changes your status. It's a status effect type thing. Uh, this is where in Final Fantasy, all of a sudden you'd have black clouds above your head indicating, I don't know, you're poisoned or something like that. The stereotype or the standard in Dungeon World is that you get a minus one to a certain ability. So, you know, I'm weakened. I get a minus one to strength or something like that. And uh, 
I'm not, and I say something like that because I'm not sure if that's exactly the wording they use, but, oh, or you get a minus one to dexterity or a minus one to charisma, whatever it might be. And you're supposed to have kind of a narrative element to that. And every now and again, those to me are a little bit like, meh, a little bit so-so. And I think what it comes down to is, and this is a big question for you. So this is a this is a topic that lots of other people have videos about and and treatises on. But what it comes down to is what do what does hit points mean? We have had games where I have tried to say, don't think of hit points as I have to be hit with something and I'm taking some kind of physical harm. You could think of this as, um, oh, I would have been hurt by this, but instead I didn't get hurt, but my luck's running out, that kind of a thing. And I think that depending on how you're viewing this, it changes up the narrative. And depending on what you're trying to run, it changes up the narrative in a way that like, it changes the mood of things. Because in a game where all of a sudden um, Jacob's character is getting shot in the kidney with an arrow that's poisoned. The answer is, how does he come back from that? He doesn't. He dies. <laughs> now, there are magical things that could happen because of that. But like all of these other horrible, terrible wounds that everybody's receiving, really the answer is, well, they're all they're dead. They've got broken bones and terrible injuries and they can't walk. And so they don't get down into the dungeon because they're just shambling mounds who are maybe propelled on in this terrible, hideous, uh, uh, like tenacious force that's oozing towards the, the dungeon. Like, like that, like that kind of deal. And I remember even in our Blackburn game where I had specified like, Hey, you know, you don't need to think about hit points that way. If you get hit and you take damage, think about that damage as like what you would have received, but you don't even need to say that you're hurt. Everybody still was like, yep, a spear goes right through my leg. Like everybody still went in that same direction and it changes up the story is what I'm trying to say with this. And some people don't give a shit and that's fine. And if you don't, it's okay. I still had a great time playing this game. I had a great time playing the uh, Blackburn game. But another option would be to say instead, rather than me try to suss out how I could get hit with an axe by an orc who we have decided is the size of John Cena. Like, how am I going to not lose my arm or ever be able to use it again? Like, another thing would be like, the orc misses. Okay, and then we just say like, I barely get away and I'm stumbling backwards and I almost fall to my butt, but I just catch myself and I'm panting heavily and now I'm looking forward at this person and I'm like, oh shit. Like you can describe that because otherwise imagine imagine an action movie where this happens. Like Kung Fu movies, you'll see guys get punched constantly, but very rarely is it like, and then there's somebody with like six bullet holes in their leg and, an, and a knife in their side and if you do see this stuff, it's usually meant to be crazily over the top. So, I mean, that stuff changes up the mood of what you're doing. And um, 
debilities make me think about that a lot of like, oh, what happened? Well, my leg got crushed. I have minus one. Like, oh, geez. Like, maybe we can do this stuff in some kind of narrative way where we don't have to focus on hit points as, you know, all right, this is how many blocks are taken out of the Jenga tower of you. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think I've, I've always, especially since this one is uh, trying to, to emulate D and D and that's just like I've said a couple times, like how I played that in when I was a teenager, it's like, yeah, this uh, spear goes right through my eye. What was that 10 hit points? Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, give me that healing potion. It's fine. Yeah. And so I think I, part I of def- that, I think part of that comes from uh, a couple of things. This is, this is not helpful for games. Um, <laughs> but I think that part of that comes from like the psychology of like, especially when you're a kid, like not understanding like the tremendous toll that minor wounds take on your body of like, Oh, I reached down to unplug something and I hyperextended my knee and now I can't walk the same. And it's been, 10 years, like kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> oh, could that be a personal story? Um, <laughs> like, like, uh, but also like this kind of fantasy of invulnerability where you're like, like, oh yeah, I can get, I can fucking be the Terminator and get hit with this and be like, give me your clothes, your boots and your motorcycle. And like, it doesn't <laughs> matter to me because I can just shrug this off. It doesn't even matter. I'm so fucking cool. Oh, <laughs> Uh, I I swear to God, Megan's going to date me one of these days. <laughs> right. Yeah, I kind of skew more toward that, especially in Dungeon World, like uh, the hyper violence, like over the top, kind of like Die Hard or I guess John Wick type stuff. But yeah, it in real life, this would not be very realistic. Well, it's it, the the realism isn't there because I mean, you're also dealing with magic. So the realism's already out the window. For me, the element with that is like, if you don't want to have to keep explaining how it is that you could get hit with an axe in the leg and then still be walking, instead you could take hit points to mean a different thing, which is that they're your hero points or your heroic points. And like, how heroic can you be? And then when the end, when the hero is no longer able to be heroic in this story, they die or they go away. And they don't even need to die. They could have to like kind of retire in some kind of way because they're no longer able to keep being heroic in this story. They could be luck points, something like that, where like, oh, you ran out of luck, buddy. And then that way you don't have to explain, all right, I got hit by an arrow and a spear and a fireball and these other things. And it can just be like, these are close calls. And if you want to get more variety than just I keep getting hit by these fucking things. Then you could have to have to work out at the table. You could have to have, you could have to have to. um, All right. Well, how did you get away from that fireball? Well, I jumped over the other side of the bar. I went behind this pillar just in time and it seared the brim of my hat. And I, and I come back and like the tip of it's on fire and I blow it out and go, whoo, like that kind of a deal. And I think that, I enjoyed this game. I enjoyed all of these games. I don't have a problem with games that just do that same thing, but there are times where even my imagination is like, how are these characters not, how are they able to move their muscles as opposed to being like shambling hordes of 
Like where they they move like zombies because of all the tremendous scar tissue and broken bones that they've encountered. Slash, yeah. what you then run into also is, and I know the characters are supposed to be heroes, but if you run into that situation where like, oh, well, everybody can take this horrible, hideous amount of physical damage. Well, then what does any physical damage or harm mean? Like if I can get hit in the chest with an axe and still be okay, why wouldn't I enter every single situation and just say, hit me in the chest with an axe? <laughs> like, and the answer hopefully is narratively, you're not being that stupid. Like, like you're trying to make a story that is narratively more interesting than that, but it also removes that element of danger to a certain degree in within the narrative. I know other games kind of uh, take a different approach to, to hit points and health, I guess, in general. I remember way back in the day, speaking of teenage years, like the D20 modern, like the uh, when D&D tried to do just a modern setting, they had a, kind of a similar take to that, as I recall. I think their first, like the first couple few hit points you get are your actual health, and then all your hit points you get from leveling up after that are just your heroic points or something similar to that. And when you run out of all of the, like those go away first. And then when you were just left with your original, then that's when you're actually getting injuries and such sort of similar D and D kind of way to do that. I guess the D 20 star Wars game did something similar, did something similar. Yeah. And then, uh, then you have things like masks where when you take damage, it it's like emotional damage all the time. And it gives you a uh, like negatives to certain like traits, just because you're, you're very angry now or you're, you're depressed. Right. And that's, and that that's what I, I'm, I'm bringing this up just to ask, like, ask yourself in your game, how is this supposed to look? Do I want to have to think about this stuff? And if your answer is, I don't care, then just do whatever's easiest and the most fun. That's really always the answer because these are games. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're trying to also build some kind of narrative that makes more sense, if it's supposed to be about, you know, these, it's one thing if it's like, oh, these, I'm sorry. The triangle. Yeah, I hate that. I've got to turn that off at some point. If it's supposed to be a game about like, oh, these two huge robots that beat the shit out of each other, <laughs> hit points kind of make sense because it's how much damage these enormous robots are doing. And then later on, they can be repaired. And uh, we fixed the the ro we fixed the robot, sir, and now uh, we got him up and running. He's going to be pretty good, but next time, be a little lighter on the accelerometers, huh? <laughs> like that kind of a thing. Like that makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> yeah, like that's why I remember in um, you can people who are uh, Roman history buffs can give me shit about this. I, literally, <laughs> someone has, but in Gladiator, at some point. Uh, Russell Crowe's character fights this guy who they were like, he's never been defeated. But in all the gladiatorial matches we've seen, all of the losers die. So inherently, he's never been defeated. But it's like, like, okay, well, in that kind of a match, anyone who gets hurt is dead. What like this creates a different setting for what's up. And we even talked about this at some point with like some of the original plans for L5R where L5R used wound levels to be very deadly. Mm -hmm. And even in the initial 
John Wick idea of uh, <laughs> L5R, John Wick, the one of the early game designers for the game, was that they, like, if you get hit with a katana, you die because that that's how samurai movies work. Usually it's a guy gets hit once and then he's dead. It's based on the game that you want to play, but, like, it, I was just thinking about this as especially in that last game where we were suffering so much tremendous <laughs> damage. Um, I think I made a point to say like, all right, well, caster's good arm, the one that's a flesh and blood arm. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> like he yeah. got so hurt, but yeah, I don't know. I know this is a tangent, but it's, it's something that I thought of uh, when we were talking about this and when we talked about debilities and debilities came up, especially towards the end of the game. No, that, that's a really interesting topic. I guess while we're on, we're on the uh, the topic of the last battle, one bit of advice I read right before that battle, I think this might have been a gauntlet thing, was um, you can just really aggressively use those golden opportunities that they, if you read your your GM section of Dungeon World, one of the the triggers that you can do a either usually a soft move I would imagine, but even a hard move if you want is when the players give you a golden opportunity is what they call it. So when they, I don't know, they say, well, I'll, I'll test this poison out. Let's give it a little sip. Like that, that would be a golden opportunity to just be like, okay, well, let me make a move now. Cause it seems like you're saying you want to get poison. You're putting yourself in danger. Let's, let's see what that danger looks like. Always be looking out for that kind of stuff. And especially when you're having a big climactic battle, almost anything that they do could be a kind of a golden opportunity. So you don't have to, wait for a uh, a missed roll to kind of start doing soft moves or, or even hard moves especially if it's like a very important like you know final boss type thing which i like you you had just said everyone got the shit beat out of them that was a kind of a on purpose i guess yeah um i'll say with this game one thing that's tough with it is well a lot of games where you're saying like all right well normally Let me rewind. One of the challenges that you run into the, with this, so clean take. So I think one of the challenges you run into with this golden opportunity idea of just doing something very bad to one of the players uh, or all of the players is that it always is a hard, it, it always seems really tough. It's always a, like a hard thing that happens to your character. And so there's always a little bit of an element that you're like, oh, damn it. And if you're fighting, a, if you're fighting the big bad boss, that's super duper powerful, who can do all of these things, the number of those golden opportunities is pretty big. And so one of the things that you have to watch for is to vary that up in enough ways where you don't just feel like, okay, the same thing is going to keep happening because after all, I am fighting a giant warthog that's made out of metal <laughs> and at any point it can just charge me and smash me with its tusks and that does a d10 of damage go ahead and roll a d10 all right so now what are you going to try to do after you got bashed by this warthog like you you have to you have to vary it up significantly so the same thing doesn't happen i do think that you made an effort to do that in the game but i'll say even though i could tell you made an effort it still always felt like, ah, oh, damn it. Okay, again, yeah, shit. I guess this thing's just gonna, a giant T-Rex monster is just gonna bite me again. Like <laughs> that kind of a thing. Um, and so that was always, it's always a little bit tough. 
And so setting those expectations with the players is maybe more important there to be like, hey, the rules with this thing are not so much a little bit different, but in the past, I've been more interested about like, how are you going to kick these things asses? And in this, my question is going to be, can you kick this thing's ass? Let's find out. Uh, because it's really tough and I don't know if you can. And so like, like pushing that out there to people changes stuff up. And I think that that could be a thing that you might need to do. Yeah. And, uh, I think I cut it out, but of the actual recording, but I, I did make it a point to let everyone know beforehand, like, Hey, by the way, everybody, cause this might be a little harder since it's the, the final battle here, but yeah. And that, and that also going back to that, uh, what you had said to vary things up a lot, um, in these, almost everybody that does GM advice probably has this advice somewhere, but you really want to think about making a kind of a dynamic kind of encounter here, like, uh, make really interesting environmental stuff going on. Like just to use the, this one as an example, I think I had like, it was like slippery coins everywhere. So it was hard to like move around real fast and also have alternate goals going on. Like there was, uh, in addition to the T-Rex trying to bite everybody, we had, uh, one of the, the NPCs ran like mind controlled and going, going toward this, uh, pool of mysterious liquid. What's going on there. And, um, there's also this hidden things up on this pillar. What's that about? So try and don't make the only option available to just like, I'll swing my sword at the, the big bad evil thing this time, make as many different, I guess, like, uh, avenues or points of interest as you can. At the same time with that, I will say in that last fight, all of us were essentially through a lot of it doing different things. Brandon and I, I feel like we're sometimes teamed up on what we were doing, but a lot of times everybody was doing something separately. And I think that 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 can be positive, but I think you do want the players to be able to, if you've, if you've got some kind of a big bad guy or something like that, you want the players to be able to deal with that um, and feel that they've come here to fight that. And so let them kind of like team up on it. And so to make sure that it's not just like player one attacks, player two attacks, player three attacks, the the dragon attacks, like back and forth and back and forth, make sure. And Matt Colville has said this probably more eloquently than I will, but like make sure that the opponent has some kind of moves that it's doing to change up what's going on in the fight. And so you can't just keep doing the same thing, even though it might be effective. And I'm going to reference another commentator on this stuff. Um, Antonio D'Amico of Pointy Hat brought up the idea of, in D&D combat, the idea of style points. Um, what if you had to engage in some kind of like really cool uh, battle to not just beat the other person, but to impress an audience. And so if you just kept doing the same move, even though it might beat the shit out of your opponent, it makes you look shitty. Mm-hmm. And so like you might win, but build up very few points. And if you're in some kind of tournament, maybe you don't move very far ahead because you just kept 
doing what I would do in like Mortal Kombat, which is like doing leg sweeps constantly and uppercuts. <laughs> yeah. So don't do the same stuff as the GM over and over again. And if the players are doing the same things, maybe almost use that as your opportunity to, hey, you had done that before. Now this bad guy that's supposed to be so tough and so smart and so powerful, that doesn't work this time. Now they do this in response. Uh-oh. So, you know, like you had yeah. roundhouse, you had roundhouse kicked the, the, the blue ninja before, but now the blue ninja is ready. Catches your foot. What are you going to do? Yeah. That's a great uh, the way to fold this back in because that that's definitely a golden opportunity. If they do the same thing, like two or three times in a row, it's like, well, uh, they're probably going to anticipate you're going to do that again. Here's my opportunity to make a, either a soft move to set up. This is going to be bad or, oh, well, here's your hard move of that does not work. And it's actually bad for you this time in some way. So, yeah, definitely always look out for those golden, golden opportunities to kind of shake things up too, not just hurt the players or anything. Because remember, you always want to be the, the fan of them. But it's a great opportunity to to use a move to to shake things up, like I just said. like Because uh, not all of the, many of the GM moves like don't specifically hurt people. It's like you can separate them. I'm trying to remember some of the other ones, but like show a downside, give them an opportunity with a cost, like that kind of stuff too, are, are great to uh, bring out in this situation. So yeah, always, always kind of keep that in the back of your mind, especially during these, you know, really dramatic kind of encounters, right? Did you have anything else you could think of? I have one other thing. And if you yeah. want to cut, and if you want to cut this, I will not be upset because it's just a little 10 minutes of you farting. Yeah, yeah, it's just me jerking off. Um, this is just 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 the visual. Um, like this this is a bit of a critique, David. So if you want to cut this out, if you think it's too like too harsh, let me know. <laughs> sure. Not well, you can either let me know, or if you don't want to let me know and just cut it out, that's fine too. I won't be upset. I listened to all of Scale and Shadow, and in the last episode where we're fighting Explictica Defilus, when we defeated her i didn't know we defeated her i had to go back and re-listen to that part because brandon opens up this portal to like the realm of fire and she gets destroyed in that way but it was kind of like it wasn't done with enough fanfare where i missed it yeah that's totally fair and so totally fanfare. Um, mm -hmm. But so I, I had missed that. I had to go back and say, wait, is this the last one? Because I didn't exactly remember since it had been so long ago, exactly how we defeated her. I remember certain, I remembered certain beats. I remembered Ren getting kind of mind controlled. I remember us going after these eggs. I remembered a caster going to push over that pillar and like the, the like, you can't hurt a God kind of a thing. Like I remembered all of that. But I didn't remember, uh, apparently, she, I remembered the hellhounds that you can hear possibly uh -huh. in the background. <laughs> um, but I didn't remember how we actually specifically defeated her. And then when that happened in the podcast, I was like, did I just hear that? Hold on. Wait, are we done? And I had to go back and re-listen to it. And I think you were ju you just basically said like, yeah, and she's defeated. And it was mm -hmm. kind of like, I wanted something bigger with that for that to kind of be like, if this was our goal and this was defeating this enemy, 
there should be at the end of this some kind of something to tell us this is what happened this this thing the explicita defilus gives this like dying speech she does something in the end that we can work into the narrative that we're like oh no she's bringing down the whole place we got to get out of here that's very stereotypical and it's kind of boring at this point but um but like that we can tell something happened and i remember if you remember the second highlander movie the one that makes zero sense no no okay well in the end the second highlander movie Christopher Lambert defeats Michael Ironsides, uh, who's a general from the future, who's named General Katana, who has, uh, oh no, he's like from space or another dimension, and he's come here to kill him. And so he kills him, and essentially he's now the last immortal, but they'd already done that before. So it's like, well, what does this mean? And it just seems so lackluster and so like anticlimactic, where it's like, this is the 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 most skilled of these immortals that you could possibly have and you fight him and you, we'd already seen these other scenes where like after he cuts one of these guys heads off lightning shoots everywhere and there's sparks and there's all this cool stuff. Shouldn't this be even cooler? And it's, they it's way undercut because they have to have something else happen after that to make it bigger. But if you're going to do whatever you're going to do as your big last set piece, basically like, make sure your players know that that's the big last set piece. And that could have been one of those opportunities to maybe like kind of pull us at the table of like, what does she do as she dies? How does the environment change as she dies? I know you said like a lot of the people who had been turned to into chameleons, reptiles. Yeah. Like either died or killed themselves or like turned to dust or something like that. Uh, but like, I think we needed like a bigger thing there. And I think like that needs to be like a prize at the end of, Hey, you won. Now we need to see this. We need to see the fireworks. Now yeah, that this I, happened. yeah. I totally agree with you. Especially when I was listening back to edit, I noticed that too. And I was like, well, this was pretty, like you said, anticlimactic, but all right, sure. Uh, if I, if I could do it over again, I definitely would. And that's really good advice for everyone else to remember. Don't, don't make, don't do as dummy David does like make, definitely make the, uh, the win of when players have like a big win like that, like really matter and, you know, make it climactic instead. And, uh, and, it, and if you're not sure how to do it, a possibility is like, like I said, pull the table and rather than have it be like, all right, everybody give me one element of what happens Instead, say, like, what do you think happens? 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 And then maybe synthesize that in your own brain and then give that explanation afterwards. And it removes some of the, like, immediate impetus of, like, then we see this guy's head cut off and then fire shoots out of the stump of his neck <laughs> yeah. and then he explodes. Like, sure, it doesn't have that. It's not Balok opening the, the arc and exploding and everybody's face is melting. Yeah, and then to but, steal, I mean, just stealing from the, you know, the most popular one of these critical role that's that's what they do all the time it's when they defeat an enemy the gm is like all right and how do you do this and it's up to the player to describe how this since oh this is enough to put it at zero or whatever hit points you describe how many or how this uh you know unfolds yeah i love that years ago in one of the games that i think changed up how we were playing that um 
phantom investigators game that took place in new Orleans. That was like me, you, Andrew, and G one of the things at some point that we started to do. in one of the later investigations was, Hey, you're trying to hit this person, make a roll. Okay. Based on the roll, how did that go? Like you did hit you. Like, okay. You, you rolled, you're going to hit now roll your damage. You did this much damage. What happened in that fight? And it would always be way more interesting to me because sometimes people would take things and be way more brutal than they I was expecting and being like, oh, this this fight is really grisly. Where Andrew was like, oh, this guy knocks me down and he busts my head through this window and then takes the glass and he shoves it in my leg. And I was like, yeah. I was like, this was like too damaged. This should not. Okay. <laughs> you and I have a different opinion of what this is, but sure. I was assuming <laughs> he just kicked you really hard. That was a thing that that stood out to me at the end in that last episode where I was like, huh, I guess we're done. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I feel the the T-Rex, King, King Mafalme, also kind of died pretty anticlimactically. I think it's like, oh, the Hellhounds. Yeah, they canceled them out, of course. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> I, have, I have something to that, which was like, I wish that was a character that had like, a, that could have had a little more personality aside from just being a big giant T-Rex. I don't know how much it could have had, but maybe you're right of like, like, Oh, if it kind of did more stuff. Yeah. Like if it was more involved in, I don't know. Cause that's not true. Cause it beat the shit out of us for a bit. <laughs> but part of me wants to say, I wish that that was another more like intelligent or charismatic bad guy, but we were already fighting one of those in Explicit Defilus, And we had already fought another one of those in Bishop Abramo. Mm-hmm. And we had already run into Prince Orophius, and we had already had um, Larith the Beautiful, and so right. it's like, okay, well, maybe it does make sense actually that we just have something that's like this thing's big and it's going to bite you to death. So maybe that was a good change up actually in the way that they were like, oh, Doomsday should just beat Superman to death, but with this, yeah, maybe making, I don't know. But whenever there's a character who has like the thing of like, oh, I summon additional things to fight mm-hmm. for me. It's always like, oh, God damn it. Well, now I need to either worry about the stats of these other things or worry about how they do stuff or worry. Are these things now doing what you're supposed to be doing? And it removes the agency from you. Really? Shouldn't we be hearing Pikachu's story and not give a shit about Ash? You know, obviously forget what was going through my head at that point. But um, in hindsight, if I could do it again, I would definitely... I would certainly have them just kill or finish off. Cause I think if I remember correctly, everyone else had done almost got King of the dispatched on the, before the hellhounds even showed up. The hellhounds would have been good if they survived and went over to explicate the violence would, would have been a good way to illustrate, Oh, you can't directly attack her. Like it just doesn't work. Like that would have been a great opportunity for that, but only thought of it in hindsight, but that would have been better makes a lot of sense make sure these uh defeats are flavorful good for the players good soup yeah love that but not too hot but um yeah do you have any do you have any i guess that was the final thought but do you have any further final thoughts i thought there's other stuff here and there but i i, I think we're good but yeah hope you, hopefully you've learned something everybody i guess we'll uh we'll see you next time there you go everybody goodbye that concludes our GM Advice episode for This American Dice's campaign of Scale and Shadow. Hope you enjoyed it. If you, in fact, did, there's many other 
things that you just might like too. We air our long campaign episodes on Thursdays and one shots on Fridays. Right now we're going through all of our condo con stuff. Pretty pretty fun. Oh my gosh. It's also doing all kinds of things. Uh, you can check out YouTube for, for older ones that we did a while ago. Uh, you can uh, send us an email. Who knows? Why not? Uh, you can make comments. You can share with your friends. Oh my gosh, there's just so many things to do. You'll, you'll have so much things to occupy your time while you wait one more week till next time. When, oh, you thought Scale and Shadow was over? Oh, not at all, because guess what? Austin and I are going to sit down again, and we're going to go over our thoughts on the module we played, which was Against the Cult of Reptile Gods from 1982. And we're going to talk about what we thought about it, give a little review, discuss how you might be able to use it in your games. Should you even use it in our games? I don't know. You might have to listen to our review. Check it out next week. Oh my gosh, get off my back. Hope you, hope you enjoyed that. See you next time.